As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It was a difficult game, you know, coming away from home. We know they're, they're a great team and they move the ball well and we had to stay solid and I think we did that. You know, they got a lot of threats, but I think we defended well and... We had a lot of chances as well, so um, overall we're happy with the win. Hello, I'm Danny Kelly and I'm your host for The View from the Lane, the Athletics Tottenham Hotspur podcast. And we're now releasing two episodes every single week. Download them, enjoy them, disseminate them um, and tell your friends all about them. I'm joined on the podcast today by the Athletics' Jack Pitt-Brook and James Moore to reflect on a win over Wolves. That means the Spurs are in the Champions League places after the first two games. Um, you shouldn't wish for another outbreak of any kind of pandemic so that the league could stop now, should you? No, you shouldn't. Uh, we'll also uh, have the latest on Harry Kane's future as we approach the final week of the transfer window and we'll look back on the disappointing defeat in the Europa Conference League. That's right, the Europa Conference League on Thursday night. Before that, um, before we get to all that important stuff, can we please, James and Jack, uh, finally talk about the public unveiling and wearing of Tottenham's new away kit? I think it, it's even better than Ajax's Bob Marley kit and Napoli's new Armani design kit. I think it's magnificent. Am I wrong? I, I really did think you were about to say it was out of this world. I thought that the, the whole purpose of this bit was you setting yourself up to say that. So credit to you, you know, for not saying that. If I, if, I, if I was going to make a joke like that, Jack, uh, just James, I would retire. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> God, what do you think about it? I really like it. I, I've been asked by a couple of younger colleagues what I thought about it. I think in an attempt to kind of expose me as, you know, uh, yeah. some kind of old fuddy-duddy or whatever, uh, if people still use that phrase, I'm not sure they do. Um, but yeah, old really fuddy-duddy like use it. Exactly, yeah, it's the, maybe they've got a point. Um, yeah, but I really like it. It's, it's different, isn't it? It stands out a bit. And I, actually on the pitch, you know, when they're playing the game, and I mean, I, I like a lot of people, was watching the game yesterday on a, a slightly iffy stream, so mm-hmm. didn't have the benefit of kind of the full 4G experience. Um, you couldn't really even see that anyway. So yeah, I, I think it looks pretty good. It looks good on the players. And you know, I don't really care what it looks like on fat middle-aged blokes because I, I, I'm more worried about what it looks like on Deli Alley. In the unlikely event that um, I could get one to fit me, it would look like the Big Bang with the ever-expanding universe. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, And it would be proof of, of that very thing. Well, look, Jack, you're slightly more neutral on this matter. What did you think about Spurs' wonderful new kit? Oh, I, yeah, I think it's great. I think it's fantastic. Uh, I think it looks really cool. Um, 
you never really know with with these kind of set, um, away and third kits when teams try something a bit different. Sometimes they're shit, but I think in this particular instance, it's actually very good. Yeah, and uh, certainly uh, they've managed to leave the badge on it, and we've seen all of those new Puma kits. Um, I think Manchester City have got one, have they? Um, where yeah. they've, they've taken the badge. And what will people kiss? I mean, and there you have it. There's modern football. They're forced to kiss the sponsor's name rather than the uh, badge of the club. Um, and I know they've incorporated the badges into the fabric of the actual shirts, but I, I'm sorry, it's it's a step too far for me. And, James, if that makes me an old fuddy-duddy, then so be it. I shall sign up. You probably get some travel concessions with your fuddy-duddy card, don't you? Well, exactly. Sign me up as well. I'm, oh, I'm bang against that. Absolutely. Against 25% it. off at the weekend on all rail travel. Very good. <laughs> Let's talk about a win over Wolves. That's uh, catapulted Spurs into the top four at this early stages. I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I'll ask you what, what you made of it, uh, uh, James, first. I thought it was fine. I mean, it, it was hardly you know, it was hardly a classic. It didn't um, it didn't set the pulses racing, I don't think. But I, I, I know, and I think you're about to ask, there's been a lot of comparisons to the, to the same game last season where, again, Spurs scored early and then kind of were on the back foot for most of the rest of the game. And I don't know if you're one for kind of XG and whatever else, mm-hmm. Danny, but I've I've done some incredibly extensive research in the last two or three minutes. Uh-huh. How's that? Uh, Tell us about that. To, <laughs> to compare the XD from this game last season and th- this season. Uh, and last season, Spurs XD at Molyneux was 0.4. And this season, it was 1.5. Um, which, you know, I, I, I don't think you need a mathematician to tell you is a pretty substantial improvement in percentage terms. Uh also, they had a better XG than Wolves over the course of the game yesterday. I don't. This is where I don't understand these statistics because um, Wolves had twenty-seven shots at goal. Spurs, Spurs after an hour had had one shot at goal. Um, now, everything I know about watching football tells me that sooner or later those statistics will translate into defeat for you. They didn't because the game is amazing, um, but you'd expect they would. I mean, Jack, the the watching. Watching it, if you if I'd said to you, and I'm, I'm I'm delighted they won, and they're in the top four, fantastic! It's a great start to the season, and starting well is very very important. But if if I'd said that that, that looked like Mourinho was in charge of that victory, I think you'd be hard pressed to disagree. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably fair enough. Although as James says, the big difference, and I think we've seen this in both games under Nuno so far in the Premier League, is that when they go one 0 up, they don't just defend in their penalty bo- in their penalty box for the rest of the game, which was. Obviously, what really killed them under Mourinho, I think, so many times last season. So it's good to see Tottenham uh, playing a little bit higher up the pitch. I actually thought they could have scored a second goal. They had some really good moments in the last sort of 15, 20 minutes. Well, they brought on a promising uh, young particularly... striker, didn't they? He nearly scored. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd like to see more of this guy. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I bet you would. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I was kind of pleasantly... I th- obviously it was a really it was a boring game for a neutral like I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend anybody buying the DVD but I um yeah I was I, I was pretty impressed by how Spurs did a second clean sheet in a row and they did have some good moments in the last 15 20 minutes and on another day they would have scored a second goal um we we gave fantastic praise to uh, Yafet uh, Tanganga after the first game uh, against Manchester City uh, James, I mean, he's not going to have a much more difficult pair of fixtures than Raheem Sterling and Jack Grealish one weekend, and then Adama Traore the other. I, I still, I, I'm, I mean, he's one of our own. I want, I want him to succeed, and all the rest of it. I still have some doubts about his mobility at fullback, and I mean, and Traore 
occasionally just rumbled over him, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, I think Traore probably did a better job of exposing that than than Sterling and or Grealish had done the week before. Mm. He looked, he looked, having kind of started quite shakily against City and, you know, kind of conceded kind of three or four fouls in the first 20 minutes and looked like it might go wrong, then kind of grown into the game and done incredibly well. This time around, it kind of felt like, uh, it, it was more like he was kind of riding out the storm more than kind of growing into the game, if you know what I mean. Like, I think he had less to do possibly in the second half than he did in the first, but I, it, it he really did look, you know, he's having a torrid time, wasn't he? I mean, as you say, there won't be too many more kind of relentless challenges in a game than that for a fullback, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't pretty, was it? As somebody who played right fullback on Hackney Marshall with great distinction for many years, I have to say, I felt for the lad, um, because although people tell you um, you're very lucky to play fullback because you've got both the goal line and the touch line as your friends, if you're playing against it at Dalma Traore and he's quick enough and smart enough to run both at you and over you, um, I did feel very, very sorry for him. Interesting that, of course, that the way they're lined up now, um, Jack, uh, means that Hoiberg was helping him out because Hoiberg's playing slightly more rights than he did in a two um, as part of a three because, of course, they've had to find a place until maybe they get a, a replacement, I don't know, for Deli Alley. I think it's, we need to accentuate the fact here that or to concentrate on the fact this is a completely different role than he used to play for Spurs where often he was getting past Harry Kane in the, in the second striker role. Now he's a running, harrying midfield terrier. Yeah, it's it's an amazing transformation. I, my view on Delhi in the last few, really throughout his time in the career, has always been he's a very good player, but he's not a midfielder. He, you know, his best his best form at Tottenham in those first few seasons when he got into the team, he was basically playing as a kind of sort of second striker yeah, type role. Yeah. You know, he. All his best work was in the opposition penalty box. It was all about those late runs, getting in, you know, his late runs, his finishing, his final pass to, to another player. He was the millennial Gus Poirier. He was. He really was. Or like a sort of Tim Cahill type player. And now, and I always kind of have my doubts that I just don't think he's a midfielder. When he gets stuck in midfield, I thought, well, it's not really his game. And yeah, in the last, I mean, look, we're only two games in, but in the last two games, he has looked more like a conventional midfielder than I think I've ever seen from Delhi before. And that's a big transfer. And if, he can, if they can make this stick, it's a huge change. He's got a couple of advantages, hasn't he? And that's, uh, we know he is tremendously athletic um, and he, that, that works for him. Also, and I've talked about this last time we were on the podcast together, when Spurs were a tremendous pressing team, they no longer are, but when they were doing that, um, Christian Eriksen would trigger it but you look at the number of times um, in the, in his good seasons where it was Deli Alley who won the ball back he has a, a knack of getting his foot in and tackling that that, that all helps the issue will be um, when Spurs come under pressure whether his how can I put it um, sort of circus act passing is which is fine on the edge of the box of the opposition box because you want people to try things whether or not in, in central midfield and I can hear Graham Souness's voice already echoing through my head um, about when he tries one of those back flicks and doesn't come off, um, whether or not that will work out. But so far, um, and, and also I think, James, we have to give him some personal credit here because when Mourinho came, you know, he tried to get the best out of Delhi. There was a couple of games where he did well. Then he's been essentially abandoned. And I always, I always um, think it's, it's fantastic when players, a new manager comes in, and they find a way to find their own form again. And if he can do that, he does deserves personal credit because which of us wouldn't be put, you know, downtrodden by being told you're no good anymore? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, as as you're both saying, I, I really could not have seen him playing in in this role 
specifically. I think we talked about this a few times last season when we were kind of saying, you know, num- number 10s are kind of going out of fashion and he's going to need to either kind of reinvent himself as a wide forward or a centre forward or uh, like a deeper midfield player. And I think generally our, our, the consensus was that he'd either have to be like a wide forward or a centre forward because he was never going to be able to play like as an eight or whatever else. Um, and yeah, and, and it has, you know, as Jack says, two games, but it, it seems to be working pretty well. And, and yeah, as you say, on a mental side, I mean, uh, it, it's clearly been a difficult couple of years for him. I think he's probably felt the end of that Pochettino reign more than any other player, I think more keenly than any other player. Uh, and clearly, after the bright start under Mourinho, that just wasn't a, a relationship that was working at all. So, yeah, I think I think his, his persistence is, is to be applauded. And, you know, if he can get back to somewhere near the level he was in sort of 2017, um, albeit in a different position. And I think, you know, I think that will, serve, that will solve quite a big problem for Spurs. My own feeling, if we, if we kind of uh, doing a teacher's report on, on, on that game, um, I would say uh, a, a for effort and result and kind of B, um, maybe B minus for the way it was achieved because I don't think, and you're right, I think, I think it was Jack who said they, they, they used to retreat to the six-yard box to defend. Now at least they're defending on the edge of the 18-yard box, which gives the all-new tolerant referees less of a chance to give um, VAR goals and strange penalties and things. Um, and But I, I thought it was okay. And those are two tricky fixtures um, got out of the way. So, so well done to them. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman. This is what we've got planned for you across the Athletic Podcast Network this season. The Ornstein and Chapman podcast has been rebranded as the Athletic Football Podcast. We'll release four episodes across the week as our journalists bring you the very best insight into the biggest stories in football and the business of sport. Michael Cox will continue to bring you the smartest analysis of all the big games in the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. Adam Hurry will now host two episodes of the Football Clichés podcast every single week with his usual take on the game. There's a brand new Athletic FPL podcast with our fantasy football expert, the FPL General, giving you all the advice you need to stay ahead of your mates and top of the FPL rankings. And the Athletic Podcast Network is also home now to a host of club-specific shows, some of which are going to be releasing multiple episodes every week. And we're now your destination, don't forget, for the Totally Football Show with James Richardson and the Totally Football League Show. And that is it. We can't fit any more in. All you've got to do is search for The Athletic in your podcast provider of choice or go to our podcast section on The Athletic app. Not surprisingly, with all of the stuff that I've just mentioned, The Athletic is now the world's biggest football podcast network. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Okay, welcome back to the View from the Lane a podcast. I'm Danny Kelly. Alongside me today, I'm delighted to say both Jack Pitt Brook and James Moore. And yesterday, it was Sunday, of course, against Wolves. We saw a sight that I wasn't sure we'd ever see again after last season, uh, that of Harry Kane. 
uh, one of her own, all those sorts of things, um, parading around in a Spurs shirt. Jack, you know, we've been talked about this transfer all through the summer and we're now what, nine days away, a week and a bit away from it. Um, do you think that his appearance on the pitch um, was indi- indicative of anything or just another part of the saga? I think he's going to stay. I think that's been my position for most of the summer. I feel like in the last week or so, it does feel as if he's he's just going to have to get back in the team. You know, he's he's going to be a Spurs... I'm, I don't know, 80, 90% sure he'll be a Spurs player uh, come the 1st of September. And so, uh, event- and now that he's, you know, he's done a bit more training, he's fitter than he would have been for the City game. And it's just a case of getting him back in back into the team like obviously this has been a pretty difficult period for everyone and again you know I, I could be proven very yeah. wrong a week from now if he winds up at City but my current view is that he's going to stay at Spurs and to be honest I think he, he'll just he will have another good season and all this unpleasantness will be sort of brushed under the carpet just as it always is in football I like the way you um you call all that's gone on for the past three months the unpleasantness um, here in the Republic of Ireland, because it was a neutral country, they, uh, during the Second World War, they never referred to it as a war because they were being neutral. It was always called the present emergency. And I think the, <laughs> the Kane issue is the present emergency. Um, James, when you saw him um, shaking hands with, with Son as he came on, um, did it seem like, uh, okay, here we are getting back to business? Or uh, was it Part of me just thought, well, I'm glad that we've had a chance, at least the away fans, to applaud him onto the pitch one more time. It was a bit of a strange one. I mean, I, I can't think of the last time he came on as a substitute in a league game uh, for any other reason other than having been rested like, at the end of the season or whatever. Um, I think there was a game, I think I did see this stat actually, and it was Leicester away in sort of 2017 or something like that. He came on with Spurs losing. Um but yeah, it, it was an unusual feeling to see him come off the bench after. When you're talking about someone in, in the kind of context of a transfer for so long, to suddenly be reminded that they actually exist as a footballer rather than just a sort of, you know, a, a hypothetical £160 million. Pounds, it, it is, <laughs> he, you do just kind of forget that he's actually just a bloke who plays football. And quite a good one. Yeah. But uh, I have to admit, I, I, it has kind of tainted my... Uh, insane love for Harry Kane. What's happened over the last few weeks? Um, but as you say, the second, you know, there's a game away at Arsenal towards the end of September, and we all know what his record is like in that particular fixture. Uh, and you know, far be it for me to curse him or Spurs by saying he will score in that game, but he probably will. He will. He, he will. will score in Please that. God. And yeah. Then, and that that'll be the moment, if not before. I think there's Chelsea before that, so you know there's another opportunity even then to. Yeah. to... N- nobody's nobody's scoring against Chelsea currently, are they? Let's be well, truthful. Po- possi- possibly not. Possibly not. Um, what about the Spurs fans? Uh, I'll ask you this, change really, because um, they did their level best to show that they still have his back. They were loud. I mean, the Wolves fans, um, not <laughs> not so generous towards the England captain, um, but the Spurs fans singing, uh, he's one of our own, and all the rest of it. Um, I couldn't work out if that was slightly desperate, like um, when you know that uh, a, a partner has has got her eye on the uh, on the exit door, and you bring some flowers from the garage. That's what I thought. There was a bit of that in that. <laughs> I can I can change. We can change. Yeah. Do you think that's it? Do you think they were singing? You, it's we me. can change. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, what what else could they do if they boo him? They're only making the situation worse, aren't they? Yeah, I think I, I'm not I'm not surprised by that. I think that's kind of how football fans react to these kind of things, isn't it? I think it is, and you're right. It is a lot like that. It is like one sort of last desperate plea, and it's unlikely to it's unlikely to shift the dial too much as far as Harry Kane's emotions are concerned. I I suspect. 
but I, I, it can't do any harm, can it? And I think I think it's kind of fair enough, you know. I, <laughs> there's there's just no benefit in in giving him abuse. I think at this stage, you know, obviously if he goes to City and comes back in the first game, he comes back, then fine, you know, do what you can do to to put him off. But I think for the time being, I think it makes perfect sense to, to back him. And I actually think Wolves fans, I don't know if you've seen that video of him getting off the coach and Wolves fans kind of gathered around booing him and giving him some stick. And obviously during the game as well. I kind of think that might have worked in Spurs' favour a little bit. If not just in this game, I mean, in the next few weeks, because it kind of just, it just kind of meant everyone kind of doubled down on backing him, didn't it? And got everyone on the same page. And, I, I, you know... I, I don't really think it's going to make much difference to whether or not that transfer happens. That's going to be determined entirely by whether City pony up that money. But if he's still here, I think it will help. I love the way you and I, uh, you can hear the faltering tone of our voice uh, because we happen to be Spurs fans, James. Um, we're, we're talking about it aware that the ice could crack underneath our feet at any moment <laughs> and will fall into the freezing water when the transfer goes through. I'll ask you about that, Jack. Um, it appears to me... To the outsider, everyone talks about Daniel Levy's toughness, but the Manchester City owners didn't get where they are today by being, you know, paid up members of the Liberal Party, did they? And it strikes me that we're now, and I've got to be careful what phrase I use, even though we're in the wild west of podcasting, we're at we're at a measuring stage. Certain parts of the human anatomy are going to be measured over the next eight or nine days um, because Levy is not um, a member of the backing down club but nor are the Manchester City owners in any way, shape or form up for not getting their own way. So I think this has still got a, a, a bit to run. And it may be that somebody, one, one of those will just say, these are men of, of, of will. We'll see what happens. Well, that, that's the interesting thing, isn't it, Danny? Because City have no hesitation in paying up for players who they want. That's been very clear over the last sort of 10, 12 years. You know, they paid £100 million for Jack Grealish. Uh, their, their team is full of players they paid 50, 60, 70 million pounds for. And yet, in the case of Kane, I, I'm, so, I'm not sure how much City want him. Like, obviously, I think Guardiola definitely wants him. But um, whenever I speak to people who, on the inside, I, I get the impression that the other people at City, like, you know, Cheeky, Soriano, etc., don't really want Kane as much as Guardiola does. And... That, I think, is one of the reasons why City have taken this kind of strangely ambivalent approach so far. They, you know, they haven't offered that. All they've offered is a bunch of players who Levy didn't want and then £100 million broken down into you know 75 up front and 25 in add-ons. And that's a really strange approach if you're trying to sign someone as big a name as Harry Kane. And it, I think Jamie Carragher wrote a really interesting piece in The Telegraph uh, the other day uh, by which I mean I agreed with it entirely. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and his argument, which and this is something that I, I certainly agree with, is basically City, I think City have hung Harry Kane out to dry a bit. City have, you know, obviously Harry Kane has, he's done what he's done in the expectation that City would come in hard and do a deal with Daniel Levy. And in reality, City have gone quiet in the last few weeks. And maybe maybe your City will come back the City will come back this week with 130 million pounds or whatever. Mm-hmm. And maybe that will induce Levy to sell him. Although I have to say I think that's very unlikely. I don't think Levy will sell Kane under any circumstances. But City, yeah, City's kind of ambivalence about Kane has been quite surprising. And I think it I you know, I can understand why Kane might feel a bit let down by that. If they were to get a big money offer for Harry Kane, Spurs would have to get a replacement for him. Because I can't see the situation of Son playing up front on his own um, continuing. Because one, he's so much better when he comes 
from from the side of the pitch. And two, what if he turned an ankle? What are we going to do then? Um, and equally, Manchester City, they, they keep on rotating their astonishing array of forward players, but they haven't got the stri- striker they need either. So something has to move pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, I think we know that the Spurs have been sniffing around other forward players. And uh, I think there has been a suggestion in, in some quarters that that is being done with a view to these players being paired with Harry Kane. I mean, I wouldn't be at all surprised if this was actually kind of, you know, Spurs and Paratity in particular, given we read so much about how he likes to have multiple plates Mm -hmm. spinning at any one time. Um, So I wouldn't be surprised if that was a case of Spurs being prepared for that to happen just in case it does. Um, But you're right. I mean, obviously, regardless of whether or not they're prepared for that and they have players in mind and they've had kind of provisional conversations about any of those transfers, you know, if, if they end up not realising, you know, selling Kane on the 28th or the 29th of August and not realising it's going to happen until that late in the day. It's going to be a big risk to then have to try and finalise a deal for another player, particularly given, you know, assuming you're talking about a player approaching elite status. It's it's not going to be a simple transfer to do. We've seen that over the last two months with Kane. So, yeah, you're right. It's going to be a huge risk. I mean, I, I think... I've seen it suggested that Spurs may have done what they did in 2013 with Bale where effectively they, they kind of got 99% of the way through the deal quite well, relatively early on in the summer, then got all their inward transfers completed over the course of the last few weeks of the window and then sold Bale right at the end, knowing that they were going to get the money back. But I, I don't, that isn't, I mean, Jack will know far more than me, but that, I, I don't get the sense that that is what's happened this well, time. Well, for, for a start, let, let's actually look at what the, the great Peritici and his telephone calls. Spurs are still ever so slightly in profit because they loaned the two Italian incomers the money they spent on Hill, they've made back in Foyt and uh, Alderweireld. So here we are, a week and two days away from in the transfer window. And as always, Levy finds himself well in pocket. Um, so uh, we, we, they they haven't yet pushed this boat. Just, although I will say, just getting this from another newspaper right now on my phone, um, not as good as the Athletic, I have to say, but still a, quite a reasonable source. That Spurs are about to um, punt 40 million in the direction of Wolves to see if they will sell them the aforementioned Adama Traore. Now, that makes a lot of sense because, of course, he would play in Son's position and Son would then be freed up to play at centre forward. Um, although, why Wolves would sell um, him uh, right now, I, I really don't see. I'll finish this by just saying uh, if nothing else, Kane's appearance allowed me, and I'm sure he, he really appreciated this, to applaud him onto the pitch. Um, from 300 miles away, uh, looking at a television. At least he knows I was there for him now. He may be required on Thursday in the conference qualifying game. I don't know if either of you worked up the appetite to watch the game against uh, Pacos de Ferreira. Um, I did. The statistic is that Spurs did not have a single shot on goal. And I'm going to throw this to you, James. You're, you're, You're a Spurs fan. I thought it was a disgrace, the team they put out there. I'll tell you for why. Because I've never, you know, I follow football pretty closely. I have a, a European football radio show over on Talk Sport. Um, Pacos de Ferreira may not be the most household name in Portugal, but they finished fifth in what is a pretty good league that generates yeah. tons of good footballers. They were fifth, right? Sticking out a bunch of teenage debutants and people who don't really want to be at Spurs and hoping that was going to work was the height 
the very height of arrogance, I thought. But the thing about that is you've got a Portuguese manager who you suspect should kind of know vaguely how good this team are, right? I mean, they were never likely to be complete chumps for the reasons you, you've just said. I mean, I, I was amazed by that team, I have to say. I mean, I can kind of see the logic in making 11 changes and wanting to give a couple mm-hmm. of fringe players a game, you know, a couple of youngsters, a couple of new signings who haven't played much in preseason or at all in preseason. But I mean, that... You know, I, I, we've seen a lot of incredibly underwhelming performances from Spurs in uh, the Europa League. They generally manage to turn it on when they've been in the Champions League by Munich at home aside. But um, uh, in the Europa League over the last sort of decade or so, they've, they've had some absolutely awful performances against teams I should definitely be. So to see them be bold enough to play that second string, ludicrous second string of all those academy players who, you know, I'm sure some of whom will go on to play at a decent level. Some maybe end up playing for Spurs in the first team. Who knows? It was incredibly bold. What I will say is that going away and losing 1-0 in those circumstances uh, with the away goals rule scrapped is actually, I think, fine. (laughs) I mean, I I was amazed by the team. And uh, as you kind of intimate, I didn't see the game because it was on a stupid channel. But to come away and uh, lose 1-0, I think, I think it's actually... I did, and I would describe fine. it as toe-curling, the effort of the Spurs, the non-effort in some places. Um, and even new uh, £45 million centre-back um, Romero was made to look... Christian Romero made to look a bit of a fool uh, for the goal, but I suspect that was the presence of the um, Cameron Carter Vicar, Vickers next to him. And, uh, you know... I hope Cameron turns out to have a lovely career. Um, I just hope it isn't going to be at White Hart Lane. Jack, just looking at him from a distance and as a neutral, when you see Manchester City's bench, to, to use a good example, they could put out probably a second and a second and a half team to reasonable effect in these lesser European competitions. My my worry was that not just that Spurs had completely underestimated um, Pacos, but they don't really have the resources once you strip away the, the the starting eleven, yeah, it was it was indicative of what a um, a moment of transition. I think we should probably call mm. it Tottenham are in at the moment because it was su- it was such a strange team and it was a terrible game. Oh. Like, I, I was in the gym. On, I was I was in the gym on Thursday <laughs> uh, and I found a I found a way to I found a way to watch the game on my phone ah. uh, while I was on the on the bicycle machine and the game, it was so awful. That I just turned it off and stared at the blank wall. <laughs> Sorry, are you talking about the game or the spinning? the game? The uh, yeah. game. It was. I. Uh, it was. It was almost unwatchably bad. It was unwatchably bad. The magnolia wall of a gymnasium was more entertaining than this yeah. European football match. It really was. I can't yeah. disagree with you. I mean, I really have to say this. When I'm watching Spurs, I had to keep watching it out of professional necessity because I knew I was being required to talk about it. It was dreadful. One turn and run by Brian Hill in the first three minutes. And after that, nothing from the whole team. And it's going to be interesting to see. We'll soon know how committed Spurs are to this tournament. Um, The kind of team they put out uh, on Thursday, which I suspect now in the circumstances will have to be some kind of mix and match. Well, I don't know. I I think... I, I think... I don't think it'll be that bad if Spurs get knocked out on Thursday. I think if, the, if Spurs get knocked out on Thursday, they will get bantered off yeah. for about twenty-four hours, and everyone, you know, people people make a lot of jokes about uh, Tottenham losing to a team that uh, Jamie O'Hara called Ferrero Rocher FC. But if they're one, when when they're out, they can focus on they can focus on the Premier League for the rest of the season, and people will forget about this adventure very quickly. I think, and that, I, I think that might actually be better for Tottenham. 
than spending every Thursday night all season slogging around the kind of backwaters of Europe playing these meaningless games. Yeah, I do kind of agree with you on that. I think that the second best thing to winning that tournament is going out in the qualifiers yeah. before uh, before the season even starts proper. I, I, it's just such a... And this is really how I felt about the Europa League last season. I was desperate for Spurs to win that. Um, not, I can't say I'm desperate for Spurs to win this. But the second you go out, you, you realise what a drain it's been on the whole season. And obviously there was a point last season where you know Spurs were competing in the Premier League and it just felt like the momentum wasn't with them because they're playing these extra matches and you know particularly in the truncated season last season I, I just don't think it worked and yeah I agree I can see the benefit in <laughs> in going out and loaning a few of these lads out rather than I'm, I'm, hanging I'm far be it from me to forensically examine through a microscope what you've just said there James uh, but I will do it you so you admit that the the best thing could happen would be for Spurs to win this tournament, but you'll have yep. to put out a team that ensures that they won't. If they go through all the way through the tournament and win the tournament, I'll be happy. <laughs> but I, I'm also not fussed if they go out now. If they're going to get, if they're not going to win the tournament, I want them to lose now. I don't want them to lose the final to Roma. I don't want them to lose the semi-final. I want them to, win, to, Roma, want them to beat Roma in the else. final. Well, of course, I want them to yeah. beat Roma. That's what I want more than anything. Yeah, uh, more than anything. J- j- but um, I, I, I just, I just worry about the strain that it's going to put on this squad. And, and as we've seen, it doesn't look especially strong. J- j- Jack is shaking his head slightly there. In this, uh, two deluded Spurs fans deciding whether they want to win or lose the final of a tournament. Uh, They're uh, almost way, out I'm of. Not, uh, <laughs> I'm not suggesting we are above it no, by any no, stretch. No. If anything, I'm no. saying we're beneath even this. I just think the, the priority for Spurs this season has to be the league position. It has, you know, whether I think they've got a, a, a chance of coming fourth. I think fifth or sixth is certainly within reach. And I think that they strategically, they have to put all their eggs in that basket. They can't afford to be distracted you know, by a, you know, a long season playing frankly, meaningless games in a meaningless tournament. They won't finish fifth because they don't do fifth. Um, the last five years, and there is a very, very noticeable pattern to this, they finished second, third, fourth, sixth and seventh. They skipped fifth in the decline. We, we declined a bit faster in that season. Um, I, I mean, I, I remain hopeful that they don't continue that downward plunge. We shall see. Listen, thank you very much for your thoughts on Spurs not doing their level best in Portugal uh, during the week. We'll have another little break then. When we come back, um, we'll talk about what uh, you lads have been writing both about Spurs and elsewhere, other things in The Athletic. And I want to talk about that Gareth Bale Q&A. Um, he is still one of our own. Um, I don't think he's well advised to let his PR people uh, do that Q&A. It turned up in The Guardian at the weekend. You're listening right now, of course, to The View from the Lane. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. 
Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Yeah, into the finishing straight now here on this edition of the View from the Lane podcast. Don't forget, it's twice a week now. Please download it. Try and enjoy it. We hope you are. We're certainly enjoying doing it. I want to finish off by talking about Gareth Bale. Now, famously, of course, he is he does not communicate necessarily very well with the press. He does better um, in Wales than he does everywhere else. And, of course, he is a maker of tremendous signs about golf, Real Madrid, and Wales. Um, as a former uh, magazine editor, I have organized in my life, I suppose, a thousand of those Q&As where you got on the phone to someone and said, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite band? And all the rest of it. Uh, in recent times, um, they've taken to doing them by email. So you have to send them the questions. I can live with that. And I know even more recent times when I'm no longer in the print industry, in the printed magazine industry, um, that these Q&As are often done under a bit of pressure from the PR companies who want to have complete say over the headline and all the rest of it. I do understand the world has changed. But I was, I was appalled by the Gareth Bale thing in the uh, in the Guardian weekend. Um, not only was it bland and slightly full of the kind of philosophical bomb mode that you might see on a teenage girl's Facebook site, um, but people were arguing with me that no, this is Gareth. He done all this himself. Hang on, the piece about my favourite possession in the world is a rowing machine. He launched a range of rowing machines or a, or a, a gym that uses particular rowing machines. Only last year. Look, one doesn't want to be hard on a person. He's already got one fantastic means of expressing himself, Jack, and that is on the football pitch. And, of course, he scored for Real Madrid at the weekend. Um, I don't think Q&As like that do him any favours at all. We're back to shoot in the 1970s here. Yeah, I I agree. It was a... um, uh, (laughs) You can't say that much of the kind of authentic, genuine Gareth Bale shone through in that particular one, especially, especially the uh, it's time to it's time to hashtag switch on, which I think I might adopt in my You've own life. You've got to start saying it to myself to motivate myself. The the thing that really caught my eye was uh, when asked what is your guiltiest pleasure, quote unquote Gareth Bale said, watching the PGA Tour until late at night. Of all the things you could be doing until late at night, I I, I don't think that I would be one I would describe as as a guilty pleasure. I mean, there are far more. There are things you should be far more guilty about than that. Sure, yeah, the, the whole thing just just smacked of uh, somebody in an office whacking out the answers they thought would be acceptable to the world. And of course, those people. I had nearly a thousand people talking to me about this on Twitter over the weekend. Aren't I great? Um, but they, they they kept missing the point. I wasn't criticizing Gareth Bale. I wasn't even criticizing his PR people because if you can get away with it, why wouldn't you? It was actually the Guardian I was criticizing for publishing it. A complete disregard for their readers. That's a whole page of a magazine just wasted on on waffle that somebody has made up on Gareth Bale's behalf. 
I did say that he scored for Real Madrid at, at the weekend, and he did give them uh, the lead in an amazing game against Levante, a 3-3 draw. I have to say that when Levante came out at the start of the second half and scored twice in five minutes to go 2-1 up, the first thing Ancelotti did was to, to drag Eden Hazard and Gareth Bale off the pitch. Um, he decided he needed a little more, how can we put it, Delhi Alley style running in that midfield uh, if he was going to get anything out of the game. And eventually they got a 3-3 draw. Um, and I'm going to say it one more time. I don't know whether Gareth Bale is Stephen Fry or as thick as a plank because he just doesn't do uh, much of that kind of PR. Um, I just know that that didn't do him any favours. That thing was in the papers at the weekend. So where are, where are we with... Uh, what have you been writing, Jack, about Spurs or elsewhere? What can people read in The Athletic um, to, to pass the time with your erudition? We're mainly focused on seeing what's going to happen in the last week of the window um, at the moment. I think, obviously, the Kane situation remains open, though uh, I, I do think he'll stay. I think Tottenham will probably get will probably get in one attacking player and a defender, um, maybe Adama Traore, and although, I, uh, I, yeah, I can kind of see that one working out, and then another defender, but the, the, the defender's going to depend on who they can get rid of. You know, if they can, they've struggled a little... A little bit to get rid of to move on some of these defensive players this summer. You know, the start at the end of last season, they told Serge Aurier not to come back for preseason, but nobody wants him. You know, the, uh, nobody, no club wants to buy Aurier, and because Aurier is still there, they haven't actually been able to bring in a new right back. So it, I don't know exactly what type of defender they'll get in, but I, I'm probably expecting two more incomings in the last week of the window. Okay, and James, you you're, you have virtual control over the entire operation of the Athletic, as I understand it. Um, well, what are you looking forward to commissioning and or reading and or writing over the next few days? Uh, I mean, in terms of, I mean, I'm hoping Jack is going to put together some incredible read on how Spurs have signed uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, who I understand could be uh, weaseling his way out of Juventus. I don't know. Stranger things have happened. I mean, it was I'm, not sure, I'm not sure they have. <laughs> it was Paratici who brought, who brought, who did the deal to bring Ronaldo into mm-hmm. Juventus in the first place. In 2018, he's Ronaldo's mate. Maybe he thinks this is the best, um, you know, maybe he could sell Tottenham to Ronaldo and get him in. That'd be amazing. Well, actually, actually sell the club to Ronaldo, have him as chairman. Uh, pl- please, don't, don't put us through that. It's, it's bad enough having to deal with, with uh, you know, a, a player as down-to-earth as Harry Kane without bringing CR7 to the table <laughs> as well. Um, listen, thank you very much indeed for this. We'll be back on Thursday, um, just before Spurs' great uh, leap forward in the Europa Conference. And of course, we'll also be previewing um, the game against Watford, a, Watford that, a game that could, of course, see Spurs go to the top of the Premier League, allowing us to all get slightly out of our boxes and people to say, you're all, to use that word again, deluded. Uh, thanks very much, Jack, and thanks very much, James. Thanks also for you for downloading and listening to the podcast. I say it's twice a week now. Do not miss out on it. And if you're not already a subscriber, you can read all those articles we've just been talking about and many others as well by going to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. And right now you can sign up with a 33% discount on a full subscription. We're back, as I say, on Thursday. Genuine gratitude for listening. Thanks. The Athletic.